mom to mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. You know, my husband, Mike, and I have been married for more than 38 years, and we have dealt with lots of issues over the years. Issues like selfishness, defensiveness, annoyance, criticism, unforgiveness at times, anger, and so many other things that can harm a marriage. But we've learned that humility and learning to serve one another have gotten us to the place of mutual respect and deep love. Now, Mike and I have observed a lot over the decades, and we've learned there are no perfect marriages. We each bring our imperfections, quirks, and annoying habits to our relationship. And because of the inherent sin living in each of us, you know, it takes work to make a marriage work because all of us deal with defensiveness and perfectionism, selfishness, and so much more. Yet Genesis 21, 18 instructs us. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. So how do we navigate the pitfalls of living with our spouses? Now, I met our guest, Jill Savage, earlier this year when we were both speaking at a conference, and I was genuinely impressed by her wisdom and her deep honesty about the challenges that marriages face. Jill knows firsthand how to put a marriage back together after it's fallen apart. She speaks honestly and openly about the struggles she and her husband, Mark, have dealt with and the valuable lessons they learned when coming back from infidelity and betrayal. She reminds us that hurting marriages can heal and good marriages can become great. We are excited she's here today to share the principles she's learned to help you keep your marriage strong. Now, Jill is an author and a speaker, and she's passionate about encouraging families. She's the author or co-author of more than 14 books, including her most recent, Empty Nest, Full Life. And she and her husband, Mark, have five children and three grandchildren. Welcome to the Mom to Mom podcast, Jill. Well, thank you. It's so good to be with you guys. Jill, you have quite a marriage story. Can you give us just a snapshot of your marriage? Oh my goodness. Well, uh, we also uh, have been married about the same length of time that you and your hubby have, Kate. It's 39 years this year. And we like to say, though, that we've been married 39 years, 29 of them happily. (laughs) (laughs) While we wish that wasn't the truth, it is the truth, but it wasn't like there were 10 bad years. There were just, there were hard seasons. And so, you know, in the early years, I think the biggest challenges were my tendency to put the kids before our marriage. So being Mm -hmm. child-centered instead of being marriage-centered. We have had challenges. Mark has struggled with depression all of his life. So he's had his own personal emotional up and downs and those have affected our marriage. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just raising a family, we have five children and mixing parenting and launching and the teen years. We have an adopted son who has just brought a lot of trauma with him from the first nine years that he spent in an orphanage. And uh, that has caused a lot of challenges in our marriage because 
uh, you are dealing with mental illness and making decisions and you see things through different lens. So all of that has contributed to some of those ups and downs, but it was actually 12 years ago that my husband went through the darkest season of his life when, you know, now we can look back on it and we can see that it really was a full on midlife crisis. In the midst of that, he really lost himself. He spiraled emotionally. He spiraled spiritually, which was really hard because he had been a pastor for 20 years and um, he had already left ministry. He had felt very burned out. So he had left ministry. And now what we can see in the rearview mirror is how much that actually contributed also to his spiral, because he would have said that his identity was in Christ, but when it came right down to it, his identity was in what he did as a pastor. His identity was in his helping others. And he began to lose that. And in the midst of that dark season is when he had an affair and eventually separated. It was the darkest season of my life. I have since then had breast cancer and gone through other traumatic events, but nothing will even come close to going through the betrayal of infidelity And it was during that dark season, though, I did not feel released from my marriage. I felt like the Lord was saying to stand firm and to stand for my marriage and to love my husband in spite of the challenges. And it was hard. And God taught me so many lessons. But at the end of a year is when Mark made his U-turn and surrendered to the Lord I knew if he would return to his God, he would return to his family. Mm-hmm. That happened on Easter Sunday of 2012. And so we then begin to put the, the very broken pieces of our marriage back together. It took about two years to fully heal from that. And we pretty much kept it to ourselves for another three years. And then we felt like the Lord was starting to tap us on the shoulder and say, it's time to share your story. Mm. And that really honestly changed the direction of our personal ministry. Mm -hmm. So that's really, we are just really focused on marriage ministry now and helping couples have the marriage that they long for and they desire, but it came from a hard place. Yeah. But I think it's so great that, you know, you took that hard, hard thing in your life and you're now changing lives because of your story. You're giving people hope. You're letting them see that, you know, just because you went through a a hard time, it doesn't have to stay that way. You can bring repair and life back to your life, back to your marriage. So that's, that's a good thing. You know, that's a beautiful thing that you all have been willing to share the hard things. Mm. Yeah. Well, I would say that the other, you know, it really is the way that God, he operates. He takes the broken places Mm -hmm. and turns something good into them. And we definitely see that that's what he's done with this. And for generations, like you might not Mm -hmm. even see in your lifetime, what God, the rippling effect of what God will do with your story It obviously doesn't erase the significance and the pain, Mm -hmm. but there's 
there's hope, there's redemption there. I love how you said the closer we get to God or the closer he got to God, you knew the closer he would get to restoring your family. And I think that is such deep truth that can apply to so many areas of our lives, not just in our marriages, but as we lean in closer to God and look to him, so many other situations in our lives will find their way. You know, Jill, I, I know that we have several listeners who are pastor's wives, and I'm wondering if in hindsight, if there's anything looking back at that season where he was mm-hmm. um, feeling burnt out in ministry and slowly stepping away and maybe not just stepping away from ministry. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe stepping away from other responsibilities and family commitments, whatever. Is there anything, any red flags or thoughts that you now have in hindsight that you could speak to or thoughts that you would share to another pastor's wife who's seeing maybe her husband get burnt out or feeling like he's not quite Mm -hmm. walking with the Lord as he used to? Yeah. You know, I saw Mark start to do a lot of complaining, Mm. complaining about church, complaining about people, complaining about me, complaining about life. And because of my background, because of my history, so my background is kind of a buck up mindset. Mm. And so I would say that I minimized his concerns. And so I would say that they weren't being delivered in a way that I was hearing them. And with my buck up mindset, I also wasn't being compassionate towards them. Almost like, yeah, life is hard. People are hard. Marriage is hard. Buck up and deal with it. And, and that further contributed Mm -hmm to his personal struggles. So I would say to look beyond the uh, behavior for the heart of what is going on or for the hurt, like go for the root. I didn't do that because I minimized his concern. And so Mm -hmm. if I had to do it all over again, I think I would say things like, it seems to me that things feel really dark to you right now, or that daily life has gotten harder. Is that, would that be accurate for you just to begin to kind of maybe even give him some words that would describe what's going on inside of him. And guys aren't always, it's interesting in our marriage, my husband is the feeler and I'm the thinker. So my husband is the sensitive one. I'm the logical one. So a lot of times when women are asking their husbands what's wrong or what's going on with them, they don't even have words for the emotions that they're feeling because they don't necessarily fall into that emotional makeup or they've shut down those emotions because of cultural expectations, because of upbringing. So sometimes just helping them and tuning into what's going on, and then maybe even giving them some language for it, or at the very least, making it safe for them to talk about it 
if I had to do it all over again, I wish I would have done that. And I want to be very clear if you're listening and, and Jill, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I don't hear you taking on your husband's infidelity. I don't hear you making excuses for, you know, him or taking on some of the ownership with how you behave necessarily. We want to put the blame rightfully where it needs to land. But I feel like in a marriage, you know, there are two people in every marriage and, and how can we partner with our spouse to help them walk closer with the Lord, help them love their calling well, especially in that pastoral role where they're taking on so many responsibilities. So I just want to be very clear. If you're listening, we're not, we're not making excuses or putting blame and shame on Jill. And I don't think you're doing that either, Jill. No. In fact, Jamie, the terminology I use, because during that dark year, God grew me in so Mm. many ways. He grew me to love better. He caused me to look at my critical spirit. Mm -hmm. I had to own that. I had been critical of my husband and that had contributed to how he felt. But the language I use is I did not cause my husband's affair, but I contributed to the dysfunction in our marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I had to own my part. I had to look at my yard and I had to clean up my yard. And I determined to mm-hmm. do that while we were separated and during that dark season, because quite frankly, what the Lord impressed on my heart was, in fact, I had heard Jennifer Rothschild, I had heard her speak years earlier And she had made a statement as it related to her blindness. She said, it is not well with my circumstances, but it is well with my soul. Mm, That's a good word. It really was. And I remember hearing it and thinking, oh, that's, that's a, that's a good word. I I don't know that I need that right now, but it's a good word. And I didn't at that (laughs) point, but when it became not well with my circumstances, I remembered that. And that became my prayer. Lord, it isn't well with my circumstances, but I want it to be well with my soul. Mm -hmm. And whether my marriage makes it or my marriage doesn't make it, I think I have some growing to do. I think that there are some things that you can show me during the season. Will you show me that? And that is where... I had to look at what I contributed to the dysfunction in our marriage. And, mm-hmm. and much of that was my own personal emotional health, my own personal spiritual health. I had to identify the places where pride resided in my heart. And whether my marriage made it or didn't make it, God wanted that out of my heart. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so and good. That's what brings about yeah. that inner peace, too, that it would be well with my soul when I could begin to dig out the weeds that were cluttering up my heart and my life. And quite frankly, mm-hmm. in the end, Mark said that affected him deeply. Like he saw the changes I was making. And that actually gave him the tiniest bit of hope that maybe things could be different. And not that I had caused the problem, but there was just a little bit of hope in there that, oh, maybe things could be different because I'm actually seeing some differences in Jill. So maybe they could be different with us. 
That's so good. I think circumstances like that can either break us or they can build us up and cause us to press in more deeply to God. Because I mean, I see the same thing. We're a lot alike. I too can be very critical. I'm the buck up girl, you know, just get over it, get over yourself. Because I had to do that growing up. I just had to figure it out on my own. So I expect that everybody else is just like me and they're not. Mm-hmm. So I I think we, you know, any any marriage, good or bad or whatever, we can all use that, that I love that phrase. That's, we should just put that on a billboard. Well, we all can, we all contribute to the dysfunction in our marriage and we've got to figure out what our part is. We've got to deal with what's in our yard. I love that. I think we've tossed around as Christians, Romans 8, 28, and we can sometimes offend people when they are in the midst of a hard thing and think, well, what, what good can God bring about in Mm. this? I think that this is just a small sprinkling of the good that he has brought out in your really hard story, because I know he is a good, kind God. I have no doubt there will be more things, more good that will come of this, that maybe this side of eternity you won't ever see, but he'll weave it together for good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You say, Jill, that every marriage deals with slow fades. I'm wondering if you can define that for us. What is a slow fade and why does it matter? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the story behind that. We were in marriage counseling, cleaning up the mess, and we would drive an hour to our counselor. We would be in counseling for an hour and we'd drive an hour home. Sometimes those were really long hours, depending on how counseling went. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes they were short um, because things were going well. And so we were driving and the song, the old casting crown song, it's a slow fade came on. One of the phrases in there is no marriage crumbles in a day. It's a slow fade. Mm. And we heard it, you know, we were just listening to the music and I think it was, uh, I think I spoke up and said, so what were our slow fades? Like, could we name them? And Mark was like, huh, I don't know, because, you know, it wasn't like our marriage just went south one day. It was just this slow erosion of connection. And that's what a slow fade is. It's an erosion Mm -hmm. of connection that happens ever so slowly, almost like a beach that is eroding. And the, the waves come in and take out a few pieces of sand. And we don't see that, but the waves come in again and take out a few more pieces of sand. And over time, that causes that beach to grow smaller and smaller, right? So that's what a slow fade is. And that's what happens in a marriage. And we all experience them. But at this point, we're just talking about ourselves. So we start kind of labeling them. And one of them was the slow fade of minimizing. Like I shared with you earlier that I minimized Mark's concerns and Mark, he was steeped in shame from the trauma of his own childhood. And when you're steeped in shame, you minimize your own voice. So we had the slow fate of minimizing going on where he would minimize his thoughts and feelings. And on the rare occasion that he would bring them up, he would put his thoughts and feelings. I would minimize them. So we had this unhealthy cycle. So it was the slow fade of minimizing. Mm-hmm. We had the slow fade of avoiding emotion. And that was me because I was that buck up girl. And so I was avoiding emotion and 
and when you avoid emotion, you're afraid to be vulnerable in your relationship. So everything's just fine. You're always just fine. And everybody just needs to be fine. They just need to buck up and be fine. So it hurts connection. We had the slow fade of unrealistic expectations. And that was a big one for Mark because he always had very high idealism in our marriage. And when you are always idealistic or you are always, you have these high, high expectations, real life doesn't match up to that. And when you sit in those unrealistic expectations day in and day out, day in and day out, people constantly disappoint you. You're disappointed in marriage. You're disappointed in your spouse. You're disappointed in life. And when you sit in that disappointment day in and day out, it becomes discouragement. It becomes disillusionment. And then it becomes disconnection. And it fades into that disconnection. Mm -hmm. So we identified in our book, No More Perfect Marriages, we identified um, some of the slow fades that we find every marriage deals with. Because at first we thought this was just our marriage. And then we started talking about it with friends and, and people that we knew. And they were like, I think that's happening in our marriage. So we began to realize, oh, mm -hmm. this isn't this isn't just a Mark and Jill issue. And so, you know, other slow fades might be the slow fade of child centeredness that causes a slow fade because you're putting children before the marriage, the slow fade of busyness, because we're too busy to connect the slow fade of defensiveness, because when we talk to each other, it ends up in a a debate instead of a dialogue. So all of those contribute to the places where we start to feel disconnected slowly over time. And so we need to be aware of them and we need to identify the ones that are robbing us of connection, but that's the bad news. The good news is we can stop those. And we do that with what Mark and I call the God tools, because the God tools, when we use these, they actually stop the slow fades. Before God made humanity, he made a home for them. He built a sacred place. And I think you and I can do the same. I hope to show you how in my new book, Holy Huga, creating a place for people to gather and the gospel to grow. It's currently available for pre-order wherever books are sold. And when you pre-order before September 6th, you can snag Holy Huga all year long, a free bonus companion guide filled with all my best practical ideas to show you how to pair the outward help of Huga with the inward hope of Jesus so that you can make kingdom connections with your family, friends, and neighbors for the next 12 months. As women, you and I were made to give life, and we can do that right in our own homes. Our homes can give a real picture of the gospel. When folks step through our doors, they see our deep, raw needs and our ugliness, but they can also see the love of Christ lived out, even in the midst of our brokenness. When we invite others in, it's an opportunity to point the homeless to their true and lasting home, Jesus. In my new book, I've united a popular Danish lifestyle practice with the deep theological truths of the gospel in order that you and I can steward our homes for God's glory. Huga appeals to our desire for slow living and shared moments. It embraces relationships and hospitality. 
It's warm. It's inviting. Huga is the opposite of hustle. It eschews over abundance. Huga is a way of making home. I think the world is ripe for the comfort of a real sanctuary. And while reshaping an atmosphere can never permanently reshape a heart, it can help, especially when paired with the hope of Jesus. Let me show you how to nurture a home that reflects the one whose spirit is making a home in you. Head to jamieerickson.com to learn more about Holy Huga or to find out how you can get my free bonus companion, Holy Huga, all year long. So Jill, can you tell us a little bit more about how to stop the slow fades? Because I know our listeners are going to be dying <laughs> to know more, especially <laughs> if they're dealing with some of those issues that you brought up. I know for me, defensiveness is a big one. So just some of the some of the tips and the things that we can do to stop them. Yes, yes. Well, um, yeah, let's talk about some of the God tools. For instance, a God tool that we can use is courage. Mm. The Bible tells us to be strong and courageous, and that applies to how we operate in our marriage. But Mark and I had to use courage in very different ways. For me, I have to use my God tool of courage to be vulnerable in my marriage, to not keep my husband at an arm's length, to not be afraid to express emotion or cry. Mm. In 29 years of marriage, at this point, Mark came back home. We'd been married 20, 29 years. And I had never allowed him to see me cry in 29 years of marriage. Oh, wow. If I cried and I didn't cry very often, Mm. but if I cried, I went up to my bedroom. I cried alone. I wiped my face off and then I fixed my makeup and I came back down. So I never allowed any vulnerable emotional connection. And so uh, I remember he'd been home about a month and I got a message from a friend that really made me sad. It was a friend who was walking through the same thing I had been walking through. We had supported each other during that dark year. My husband made a U-turn. Her husband didn't. Hmm. She wrote me a text and said, my divorce is final today. This is not what I wanted. My heart is broken. And immediately I, I started to well up with emotion and I started to head up the stairs hmm. and I caught myself and I went, no, Jill, that's Jill 1.0. We're on Jill 2.0 now. <laughs> and Jill yeah. 2.0 uses her God tools. And the God tool you need to use right now is courage. And I turned around on the staircase and I came downstairs to where my husband Mm -hmm. was and I shared the text with him and I burst into tears and crawled into his lap and just bawled my eyes out. And that took incredible amounts of courage. Now, my husband has had to use courage in a different way. He's had to use courage to find his voice. Like he was raised in a home that had abuse. Um, It was very traumatic. And he learned that you don't say anything because you don't rock the boat. So therefore, what would happen is he wouldn't say things in our marriage, but he would stew and simmer in silence, which would grow a bitter root in his heart towards me or whatever it was that he was stewing about. And so he began to have to use his God tool of courage to find his voice and to speak up. 
and to share the things that bothered him or to ask me to say what I just said in a different way so that it it would it came across easier on his heart. Um, and that was scary for him. So the God tool of courage is a huge one. Humility. Mm. That's another big one. Humility, the God tool of humility is what allows us to apologize. It's what breaks down pride. Um, the God tool of humility is also what helps us to not be defensive because defensiveness raises up when pride raises up. So we knock down pride with humility. The God tool of love, that's another one. We're talking about the real stuff of love, not the emotion when life feels good love. We're talking about when love isn't always easy. We're talking about when love is a choice, a decision. And, you know, that's really what God taught me during my dark season is after I found out about the affair, I begged God to tell me what to do. Like, I just didn't even know what to do. Mm. And I heard only one thing. I heard, I want you to love him. And I'll tell you what, I remember that day and I remember hearing it. And I remember even looking up to heaven and going, you got to be kidding me, right? Because I don't know if you noticed, Lord, he's not real lovable right now. Mm. And God whispered back to my heart. And sometimes you're not either, Jill. Mm. And I was like, you're right, Lord. You love me when I'm unlovable. I don't know how to do that. And God began, in fact, he took me to Romans 12, 9 through 21. And in my Bible, I it says right next to it, I wrote the words unhumanable love, Romans 12, mm-hmm. 9 through 21. And if there's anybody in your life that's hard to love, maybe it's not your spouse right now. Maybe it's your mother-in-law. Maybe it's a sibling, whoever. Go to Romans 12, 9 through 21. You will have your marching orders. But God, I read that morning and night during that dark season and began to learn to love at a deeper level. And that's what those God tools do is they mature us and they teach us new skills, the way that Jesus would respond to others. He leads the way because he has used every God tool out there, and we begin to learn to use them to respond to our circumstances. You know, I think we always think that love is a feeling. Love is really a verb. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 13, we had a great message on this recently where they were the pastor was encouraging us put your name in there. Love is patient. Kate is patient. Kate is kind. If we can put our name in all of those, we're doing well. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. So I think that for me, that was really impacting because I thought I have to look at my life. I am not all those things. You know, love isn't puffed up, doesn't get jealous, all those things that, you know, that just make us up as humans. So it it really was uh, just impactful. It really hit me that love is a verb more than, I mean, it's a feeling too, but it really is. It's, it's based in our actions, how we're behaving. Yes. And I think it's important to know the feelings of love come and go, mm-hmm. which is why we have to sometimes choose it yeah. mm-hmm. because the reality, even in good marriages, 
and marriages that aren't struggling, the feelings of being in love, they kind of are like a roller coaster. Sometimes they're Mm -hmm. high, sometimes they're low. And I think that culturally we believe that if that feeling goes away, then there's something wrong with the relationship or we're not right for each other. There's all kinds of messages that the world sends. And the truth is what, what we have found is, oh, it's anytime that that goes away. Oh, it's time for a different level of maturity. (laughs) Exactly. It's time for growth. Mm -hmm. This next question is kind of twofold. I'm wondering if you can give some advice to the mom who's going through a hard time in her marriage, but Um, kind of running parallel to that. Do you have any thoughts for those of us who, at least for this season, you know, all marriages are difficult. You're dealing with two imperfect people in an imperfect world. But when you're in a season where things are going well in your marriage, but you look around and you see some of your friends are really hurting, how can we love them well, genuinely, and not come across as you know, oh, well, everything's going right in your marriage. So who are you to talk? Or mm-hmm. so there's two women there in, in that scenario, the one who's really suffering and hurting and struggling in her marriage for whatever reason. And then mm-hmm. the, the woman who wants to walk alongside her in a genuine way without seeming disingenuous, because maybe she has not experienced some of those same struggles. Right. Well, I would say first to the the woman that wants to walk alongside um, or needs to walk alongside someone who is struggling, the most important thing that you can do, well, I say there's two things that are super important that you can do. One is just your presence. Mm. Your presence and your listening ear is so very important. I mean, this is, you know, before things went really south, I had a couple of friends that were just safe for me to be able to say, I, will you pray with me? Mm -hmm. This has been a hard week or I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what else to do. And that brings us to the second thing is point them to Jesus. Just keep pointing them to, to scripture, Mm -hmm. to Jesus, to just keep, you don't have to have the answers. You just have to keep leading them to the one who has the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, during my darkest, darkest time, in fact, the night that Mark left um, was just a devastating night for me, for my kids. Three of my kids were adults in their twenties. Two of my kids were teenagers at home. They were uh, 15 and 16 at the time. And they were, I mean, just, I mean, brokenhearted isn't even a strong enough word for all Mm -hmm. of my kids and myself. My friend Becky showed up at my doorstep. I mean, I, I called her and said, I told her what had happened. And of course I was absolutely beside myself, very emotional. And um, about an hour later, she showed up on my doorstep with her suitcase. And um, and Becky is an empty nester, so she didn't have kids at home. And she said, mm. Dave told me to stay as long as I need to stay. And she stayed mm. three days. And um, I wouldn't have eaten. My kids wouldn't have eaten. I mean, I was wow. despondent. 
And um, so sometimes are just our presence. Um, Becky was in the guest room, which was across from our bedroom. In the middle of the night, I thought I was crying as quietly as I could, but she must have heard me. And I heard the door open and I uh, felt her just sit Mm -hmm. on the edge of the bed and then lean up against me and just hold me. And I just cried. She never said a word. Mm -hmm. And I just cried and cried and cried. And she prayed and she slipped out of the room and went back. Sometimes I think that we make help harder than it needs to be. Mm. Yeah. And our presence is what's needed and and just being able to to help and sometimes when I you can't pray somebody else can pray for you and with you. Um so that would be for that person. This the second person would be the one that's in the hard season. And for that I would say I understand the fear. I know the, the, the hurt, um, the depth of the longing. If you're in that scenario, what I would also say is Jesus knows that he knows the betrayal. He knows the longing and the hurt. He Mm -hmm. understands people disappointing you. He understands life being difficult. And so we have a friend who understands it's it, the tendency is to go and talk about your difficult marriage or about your husband to complain to others. And it's okay to have a few people that you can, you know, you can process with, but the most important thing is to, to hit your knees and to say, Lord, I don't know what to do here, but I trust that you do. Will you show me, show me in your word, what to do, show me um, by the leading of your Holy spirit and show me what I'm bringing to the party that isn't helping. And really when we begin to do that, then we actually free our spouse up to begin to make some of the Mm -hmm. changes that they can make because they don't have to be on the defense. We're working in our own yard and they don't have to keep knocking us out of their yard because we keep getting over there and pointing out all their weeds. (laughs) And we begin to, to dig into our own weeds. And even if only one person changes in a marriage, the marriage changes. Hmm. So I'm a firm believer in that. In fact, my husband and I uh, created a course. It's called The Weight Is Not Wasted. Um, it's an online course for those who are in really dark seasons of marriage and their spouse isn't willing to get help. Their spouse isn't willing to do anything about it. Maybe they are dealing with infidelity or they're dealing with a separation or maybe they live in the same house, but they just feel miles apart. Uh, we created The Weight Is Not Wasted. That was a personal growth journey during a hard season. So you're waiting for your spouse to engage. You're waiting for healing to happen, but you can still use that waiting season as an opportunity for growth. I like to say it may be a really crappy season, but you can use that crappy season for fertilizer Mm. and you're using it for fertilizer for growth (laughs) in your life. Oh, that's good. Jill, how have your children responded? Have they healed from all of this? Are they doing well after having gone through this? Yeah, that's a great question. 
Yes. The, the short answer is yes. The longer answer is every one of them took a different length of time to heal, to trust their dad mm-hmm. again, to not be cynical that he would leave again. Our three middle kids engaged with him a lot quicker than our oldest and our youngest. Our oldest and our youngest, it took probably two to three years for them to really, in fact, our daughter, probably a year ago, I think it was a year ago on our anniversary, she posted a picture of of Mark and I. So this is my parents. And I remember the day that this picture was taken and it was taken probably eight years ago, maybe, maybe nine years ago at her house. And she said, I remember the day I took this picture. It was at my house. They'd come to visit. And it was about a year after my dad had come home and had stopped the affair that he was having. And she said, I remember taking the picture and thinking, mom, don't try too hard. He's just going to leave again. Mm. So you know, she, her heart was very protected. Right. And she said, but I'm glad to tell you that now nine years later, he never did leave again. And he Mm -hmm. has become a man of his word. And I'm, you know, beyond thrilled with the ministry that, that my dad and my mom now have in helping couples have the marriage that they desire. So that really, I mean, I think that illustrates the reality of what that can be, it can be very painful. It takes a lot of work to restore those relationships. And you can't just say, I'm sorry and move on. Um, I'm sorry is important. Will you please forgive me? I forgive you. But quite frankly, that's just when the healing begins. Because trust is only rebuilt by consistent change behavior over time. You can't, trust isn't rebuilt by I'm sorry. So um, it takes time that you can't shortcut healing, bottom line. And as somebody who has experienced the other side of that, being a child who has seen pretty much every single marital relationship in her life that she can reach out and touch, at least have some form of infidelity. I know I came into my marriage deeply in love with my husband but in the back of my mind, if I was really being honest, I carried this idea of, well, I'm going to ride this wave for as long as it is happening, assuming that eventually the, the wave will run out and he will leave. Yep. And I had to give that to the Lord and just say, Lord, I, I have to release him to you and trust that you have written a good story for us. And as long as I'm walking faithfully with you and he's walking faithfully with you, that's, that's all I can hold. Like I can't, I can't carry the weight of keeping my husband in line and that's, that's not my burden to carry. And I realized that I was almost putting that on my husband unrightfully carrying that around, assuming that, you know, just kind of watching the clock waiting for him to, to leave. And that wasn't fair to him. Jamie, I'm so glad you shared that because the home that we grow up in, the environment that we had our formative years in puts messages in our head. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. those aren't always accurate messages, but we carry that into marriage. And that's part of when we go on a personal healing process, when we look at our yard when we look at what we are contributing to the dysfunction in our relationship, part of that is 
What are the messages that go on in your head that you're operating off of in marriage that maybe aren't true, maybe are contributing to some assumptions you're making, maybe are getting in the way of you and your spouse being able to fully connect as marriage coaches. That's part of what Mark and I do Mm. when we work with couples and when we work with individuals and when people come to our marriage intensives, we dig into those messages because those are getting in the way of connection and the enemy uses that to steal, kill and destroy. Mm -hmm. Right. I was putting everybody else's wrongs onto his shoulders. Yes. Just, just waiting for him to walk away. And, and so I know that we lost some really good, I don't want to say we lost good years. We didn't, but I, I certainly added an extra burden that didn't need to be there because I was putting all of the guilt of others onto him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So important to understand and so insightful for you to see. Mm -hmm. Well, Jill, you and your husband, Mark have a lot of resources for marriage and you've given us a few, but can you tell us a few of them and where our listeners can find them? And of course we'll put links to them in the show notes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We do have some online courses. So for any marriage, whether it is healthy or hurting, we have our No More Perfect Marriages. We call it a home edition seminar. So it's a seminar that we we do in churches all over the world. It is a seminar that we recently did online. And so we make that available as an on-demand seminar. We have our um, Rebuilding Trust seminar. And this is specifically for couples who have broken trust in some way. It doesn't have to be infidelity, but there's been broken trust in some way. Um, And I mentioned the weight is not wasted course as well. And then we have our coaching. We work with individuals. We work with couples. We do that in person. We do that through Zoom. Probably the thing that we love ever so much is we love our marriage 2.0 intensives. And that's when a couple comes, they work with us for three days. Uh, They stay in our home. We work from Friday to Sunday, or sometimes it's Wednesday to Friday. And we just work with them alone, dig into their junk in the trunk, their messages, work on what slow fades are robbing them, help them to identify the God tools they need to be using. We do something called clean up on aisle 10, which is where we just clean up the messes that we've made emotionally in our marriage. So um, that's a resource that we absolutely love doing. Yeah. You know, Matthew 19, four through six tells us, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I think we've learned that marriage is God-ordained. It's God's gift to mankind as he initiated the very first marriage in Genesis. And its purpose is to bring joy to us and glory to him and to raise godly families. He gave marriage to us to make our lives more fulfilling and richer and ultimately drawing us closer to him. So as soon as two become one through marriage, their relationship changes and they are unified in a mysterious way, different from any other human relationship. And it has eternal significance. God's design for marriage is companionship, purpose, and passion. But as we've learned today, 
Every marriage comes with pitfalls, but there are steps we can take to strengthen our relationship with our spouse and model what Christ taught us about loving others. So we are so thankful you took the time to listen to this episode today. We know your time is valuable. You have lots of podcasts to choose from, but we're grateful you chose ours. And just a reminder, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd be honored if you subscribe to, like, and follow our podcast. This will be our last episode of the season, and we'll be taking a short break for the month of August. So Jamie and September and I wish you a wonderful summer, but we'll be back in September with more inspiring episodes and exciting guests to help you on your mothering journey. (laughs) 